So we've been on this journey to learn about these names given to this baby that was placed in a manger on that first Christmas. And we're halfway through the series that we began two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about how his name is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And and these names point us. They point us to the whole purpose of Christmas. And that name points us to the whole purpose of, of everything that God has ever done and is doing. He just wants to be with you. So Emmanuel, God with us, that's his desire, that's his end game, he's working and working and working to be in a relationship with you, to draw you to him. That's what we learned two weeks ago. Last week, his name is Son. That's what we talked about, Son. There's Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God, and we looked at those names and how they pointed us to the fact that he was perfect humanity, that he was our forever king, and that he was glorious deity, he was our God, and that we just... It calls us to, to literally worship Him with our very lives. So today, we're looking at the big one, the one that's the obvious one, the one that is the most common one. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now, week one, when we looked at Emmanuel, that name for the baby that was placed in a manger, we only see it in the Bible three times total. That's it. Three times total. So, pretty rare name. In fact, I usually only hear it mentioned this time of the year for Christmas. But now the name Jesus, we find it 925 times in the New Testament alone. So that name is used a lot. When I thought about that this week, I had this flashback about my wife Sherry having this moment years ago when the kids were little and rambunctious where she would say, I just want to change my name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd, if I hear mommy one more time, I'm going to explode, right? And, you know, I thought about that. I just wonder, this sounds weird to say, but I just wonder if Jesus feels that way sometimes. Like, oh, man, like, his name's used over and over and over again. I'm not talking about just in the Bible, but I don't know about you, but I hear his name mentioned. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not talking to Jesus when they said his name. I'm pretty sure they're not even talking about him when they say his name. They just say his name. We just say his name for any old reason. Like you get injured, get hurt, you say his name. You know what I'm saying? And, and I wonder if that's just so weird. Imagine if that were you. You know, what if I walk into a room and, you know, Cameron's, I don't know, hammering something with a nail. Or I, don't, I don't know why he would ever do that. But let's say I, I, and, he, and he nails his thumb with a hammer and he goes, Ah, oh, Bill Clark. What's up with that, man? Like. I don't understand. Why, why me? <laughs> and I just wonder if Jesus feels the same way. Like, you're just in traffic. Why do you yell my name while you're in traffic? It doesn't make any... I mean, if you're praying to me, I get it, you know? So I just wonder if sometimes Jesus feels that way about his name. It gets used a lot. But his name, oh man, it's powerful. And it's precious. It's, in fact, I came upon this passage, and I've never thought of it really as a quote-unquote Christmas passage, but it's beautiful. And I wanted to, to read this to you before we kind of dive into this name a little bit. But it's in the book of Philippians, and, and God inspired Paul to write this to the Philippian Christians. And it's actually a poem or a song. And I'm just going to read to you an excerpt of it. It says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. I love that. He gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just think that's beautiful. Name above all names. The name under which every knee will bow. The name that one day every tongue will confess is Lord. We've been saying this since week one. His name alone has the power to give life. That's why we're talking about it. His name alone has the power to give life. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So as we look at this name, Jesus, we're going to go to the very first Christmas historical account, if you will, in Matthew 1. We looked there briefly the first week we began this series. Starting in verse 18 of Matthew 1, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. So this name, Jesus, that we see 925 times in the New Testament alone, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So the, the name there in the Greek is Iesus. And it's, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew name. In other words, his name is a Hebrew name, and they took that name and said, well, we're writing in the Greek here, so we're going to take all the Hebrew letters as best we can and make them into Greek equivalents. So you have Jesus in the Greek, but it's actually Yeshua in the Hebrew. And it literally means he saves or he rescues. In, in English, we would just simply say, Savior, rescuer. That's what that name means. So that's literally what his name means. It's literally why he came. In fact, this is what I want you to come to understand about Christmas. In one short sentence, here is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus came to rescue you. That's the meaning of Christmas. Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to rescue me. That's why he came. And boy, do you need rescuing. <laughs> and boy, do I need rescuing. We need rescuing from sin, from addiction, from stress, from fear, from anxiety, from sadness, from sickness, 
from self-sufficiency, from complacency, from purposelessness. And the list goes on and on and on. We need rescuing, whether we see it or not. At some point, if we live long enough, we do see it. We feel it. We know it. But until we actually come to the point where we see our need for rescuing, we may never actually ask for and look for a rescuer. I hope you see the need for rescuing. And when I look at Jesus' life, you can read the four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and you just look at the very life of Jesus and everything he said and everything he did, and you see over and over again how he just kept on rescuing and rescuing and rescuing. It's who he was. It's what he did. It's why he came. Children were being rescued from just being dismissed. Jesus rescued women from being marginalized and treated as property. Jesus rescued the poor from being oppressed. He rescued the hungry from being ignored. He even rescued the religious elite for those who were willing. He rescued the religious elite from being burdened by religion that doesn't actually transform anyone's life. He rescued the criminal from his past shame. He rescued the demonically possessed from being powerless. He rescued the sick from being hopeless. He even rescued those who were healed from thinking it was just all about their bodies anyway. It's why sometimes when he would heal someone, he would also say, your sins are forgiven. Because that was the greatest miracle. More so than being able to walk again. And all that is made possible, friends, by this name, Jesus. The name that is above all names. The name under which every knee will one day bow and every tongue will confess is Lord. The name Jesus has the power to rescue. The name Jesus brought sight to the blind. The name Jesus brought mobility to the disabled. The name Jesus brought peace to the possessed. The name Jesus brought life to the dead. That's the power of the name Jesus and the person Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what your backstory is, you can be rescued. Absolutely. It's why he came. You absolutely can be rescued. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued. There's no other name but that name. And let me say this. Jesus is not a way. Jesus is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. I remember our pastor before me was Will Langford, and I heard him say this quite often. He said, man, people get offended by saying Jesus is the only way. More and more people are like, no, 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 there's so many. It's like, you know, if, if I wanted someone to come to my house, I would give you this is the address. There's not another address. It's this address. I could tell you, figure it out, and you can go all kinds of places. But because I care about you and want you to actually be where I am, I will give you my actual address. That's why Jesus is the way. 
because he is the God. He is the only one. And you want to get to him, it's him. Period. He's not a way. He is the way. Don't let anyone tell you differently. I don't know about you. Part of my life story is at times thinking that maybe there is another thing or person or relationship or pleasure in this life that actually will give me the peace and the happiness and the joy and the love that I'm looking for and longing for. And when I put that thing or that person or that activity or whatever it is in the, on the throne of my heart, I fall on my face every time. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's not a way. He's the way. He's not a way in the manger. He's the way in the manger. Ooh, that was good. I'm going to say it was good. All right? See, in fact, you can change that song when you sing it. The way in the manger. That'd be good. All right. Pressure, friends. So in order to really help you visually understand what I'm talking about here, I want to show you something today. And it's something we've shown before. It's been a few months ago. And I think it just really clearly paints the picture to help you understand how Jesus came to rescue, why he came to rescue, and what that looks like. It's called three circles. The first circle is God's design. All you got to do is read the very first two chapters of the Bible and you will see that God created the universe and you will see that he created it to be good and he created us to have a relationship with him, created us to walk with him and be in relationship with him. But we are free-willing human beings and we have the opportunity to choose. And our very first ancestors, Adam and Eve, they chose sin. They chose disobedience. And man, it's been in our DNA ever since then. We sin. It's what we do. We don't, nobody has to teach us to do it. It's there. And because of our sin, we are separated from the God. He designed us to be in relationship with Him, but, but, but He can't have a relationship with actual sin. And so it broke that relationship. And so what we've been dealing with from day one is circle number two, which is our brokenness. And what I love about the visual that you see before you is those, I love those squiggly lines because that is our lives apart from God. <laughs> our lives apart from God is just us trying to live out of our brokenness. It's us attempting to kind of figure out what the right way to live is, live the best way I know how, live the best way that feels right. And those sometimes can look like good decent kinds of lives and sometimes they look very very not decent but brokenness and by the way we all have it Romans 3:23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory we've all harbored brokenness and harbor that in our lives but that's where the good news comes in in fact gospel literally means good news and that's the third circle the good news is that God did everything he could to make a way to be back in relationship with you and with me by sending Jesus. Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue. And if we would just actually stop where we are and turn to Jesus, repent and believe in him, then we could be transformed. We could be changed. That's the good news. 
It repents a kind of a fancy church word, but it literally means to turn, to stop and turn, to stop and turn. To no longer be just kind of wondering out of a brokenness, how do I live, how do I live, but instead saying, okay, I give up. And I want to turn to Jesus and follow him and his path for my life. That's the good news. And once we take that step of faith and we call upon the name of Jesus and he gives us this free gift of salvation, what's really cool is he doesn't leave us in the brokenness. Instead, we recover and we pursue God's design for our lives. And we have the power to do that. We have his guidance to do that. We have his Holy Spirit living within us to make that happen. And then instead of actually living squiggly line out of our brokenness, we're actually living and moving towards God's design for us. That's the good news. Now I want to say something to you that I'm finding to be all too true, and maybe you've thought this, maybe you even believe it where you sit right now, but I, I, want, to, I want to confront that a little bit. I feel like what we do is, is we think that Jesus came to look at our brokenness and look at you in your brokenness and just simply tell us it's okay. And then that's it. I, I'm okay with you. I accept you where you are, and we're good. And then that's it. Now that in some ways sounds good, and it sounds very open, and it sounds like I don't know what other adjectives you want to put in there. But when I think of what it looks like to need to be rescued, do you know what I think of? I think of one of my first times trying to swim in the deep end of the pool. Where at first, I felt pretty good about it. And then I decided I'm a little tired. And I straightened my body out. And I stretched my toes down as far as I could. And I could not feel bottom. And then next thing you know, I wasn't smiling anymore. <laughs> I was like, a little help here, please. A little help here, please. And if in that moment, a lifeguard walks up to me and says, me and you, we're good. It's okay. And then they walk away. That is not being rescued. <laughs> in fact, that person needs fired. <laughs> right? I want you to remember that because Jesus doesn't just come and he dies on a cross, and he steps out of his grave to just pat you on the head, give you a little pat on the back and say, me and you are good. Just wanted you to know that. And then walk away. That's not at all the good news. That's not at all being rescued. He did every bit of that so that he could reach out his hand, and that if you would put your hand in his, he will pull you out of your danger, out of your brokenness, and into his design for your life. That's being rescued. That's good news. Jesus isn't a stamp of approval. He's a person to worship and a person to follow. Someone who wants to do something extraordinary inside of you and even through you in someone else's life. Don't settle for just remaining broken. One of my favorite stories and accounts in the entire Bible is when this village caught this woman red-handed in adultery and they, they brought her out and all the men from oldest to youngest grabbed a rock and they had every right by the Jewish law to stone that woman to death. 
And and Jesus is right there. And he says that famous thing, that famous saying, that famous quote, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, those men dropped the rocks. The first rock and roll party. You know? Dropped the rocks and they walked away. Next thing you know, Jesus and this woman are there by themselves. And he asked her, where are your accusers? Have they not condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. That's where we like to stop. We just like to stop right there. But then he says, now go and leave your life of sin. Get out of the deep end. Walk out of the prison cell. Pursue his design for your life. That's the power of the name of Jesus. It's not a stamp of approval. It's a person who wishes to take up his dwelling in you and to guide you and transform you and change you and use you to change other people's lives. And I don't care who you are, what you've done, what your backstory is, that can be your story. He came to rescue you personally. And don't let anybody tell you differently. Don't let you tell yourself that differently. Don't let the enemy whisper differently in your ear. That is why he came. And I believe that's why you're here this morning. That if you've never, ever, ever called on the name of the Lord and been rescued by him, this is your divine appointment. To finally be rescued by him. Finally. That's the next step I want to present to you this morning. We always talk about every Sunday. We give you a next step because we don't want you just walking out of here saying, well, that was pretty cool. We want you walking out of here one step closer to being in God's design for your life. So the next step I want to give you, I'm from southeastern Kentucky. I could have said something holy like, call upon the name of the Lord. That would have been more biblical. I'm just going to give you this for your next step. Holler for help. That's it. Holler for help. If you were in a burning fire and on the roof, that's what you would do. If you had let the undertow pull you deep into the ocean, that's what you would do. And I'm here to tell you, if you have yet to turn and put your faith in Jesus, that's all you got to do too. That's all you got to do. I remember back in 2002, Billy Graham was coming to do a crusade in Paul Brown Stadium, one of the first events they had in this new stadium. And so for literally months, probably a year and a half before the event, churches from all over northern Kentucky and the greater Cincinnati area, we were pulling together volunteers and resources and getting ready for the event. The big team we formed here at Hickory Grove was part of the counseling team. So we were the ones that once... Billy Graham gave his message and, and, and invited people to come forward to receive Christ if they wanted to. That once that invitation was given, that we would go down and be ready. Be ready to receive those who made a decision. And so we were trained on what to say, what to ask, how to talk to people. Just some things that were helpful. And, and, and this promise in Romans ten thirteen for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we leaned upon. That's it. That's the vehicle by which we experience being rescued by Jesus. But if we're not careful, we can actually say that prayer for people. 
That's not supposed to be my prayer. It's their prayer. So we were trained to let them pray. If we're not careful, we can actually have a rote prayer. And there's nothing wrong with necessarily giving people an example of a prayer to pray. But one of the things they told us is be careful to tell people there's no magic words to be rescued by Jesus. You don't have to say abracadabra, hocus pocus. You don't have to say all the right things. It's the step of faith in the asking that saves you. So they told us this. You have them pray. And if the only thing they can come up with is, God, help me, that is the most powerful life-changing prayer anyone can pray. God, help me. I never forgot that. And what I present to you today is if you, where you're sitting, have yet to experience living a life that is in pursuit of God's design, not wandering out of your own brokenness, but literally moving away from your brokenness and pursuing God's design for your life, if that's not you, then you need to holler for help to Jesus today. It's very simple. You just do it. You just do it. And that's what Jesus came to do. He did it for so many. He even did it for people that most people think he wouldn't do it for. He did it for that woman caught in adultery who deserved by Jewish law to be put to death, but he did it for her. He did it for even Pharisees who were like the real bad guys, man. They were oppressing the people, but yet if they were willing, he would rescue them. A Roman soldier, really a bad guy. All the Israelites loved to hate the Roman soldiers. They were the reason they were so oppressed. And yet he even stepped into their lives and rescued. And he will do it for you if you will holler for help.